This is the Horse Radio Network. You're listening to the Athletic Equestrian Riding in College podcast. I'm your podcast host, Sally Batten, and I spent over 35 years coaching collegiate equestrian teams. Want to ride like a varsity athlete? Sally Batten's book, The Athletic Equestrian, is now available to order. Whether competing in the show ring or riding at home on the trail, Every rider wants to be more secure and balanced in the saddle and effective with their aids. This innovative guide uses highly effective exercises honed over Coach Sally's 35-year coaching career to develop your athleticism on horseback. This proven rider training system will sharpen position and vastly improve your skills in the saddle. Order now at www.athleticequestrian.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Athletic Equestrian Riding in College podcast. I am your podcast host, Sally Batten. I've been interviewing collegiate coaches, riders, and organizations. And today I had the idea, so many of my alums at Dartmouth went on to become uh, veterinarians and other types of, uh, you know, professionals in different worlds. And I thought it would be cool to kind of talk to one of them about what being on the team and and kind of what skills being on the team and being part of a team um, taught her through not only graduate school, but in her career. So I'd like to welcome Ashley McCann to my podcast. And uh, Ashley knew Dartmouth was for her as soon as she stepped onto the green during a college tour visit to the campus. Her four years from 2000 to 2004 at Dartmouth are some of her most memorable experiences to date. Upon graduating, Ashley continued the pursuit of her dreams by attending Cornell University's College of Veterinary Medicine. She is a practicing small animal veterinarian in the San Francisco Bay Area today. Her hospital, which she built from the ground up, celebrated its four-year anniversary earlier this year. Horses continue to hold a central place in Ashley's life. She spends much of her free time developing young event horses and competing them on the West Coast three-day eventing circuit. Ashley is joined in California by her partner, Don, and her parents, Barb and Leon. So welcome, Ashley, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Sally. I was tickled to be invited. I have read the book. Um, It was a Christmas gift. I know we're not talking about it today, but it does bring you know, smiles to my face when I look at the pictures and remember our time at Dartmouth. Oh, so many decades ago. So it's right. Oh, it's always a good time to talk about the book. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) So Ashley, let's start. Um, I always like to talk to everybody about their college search and, and how riding was included in that, but, but start with where you grew up and, and what you started, um, how you learned to ride and where and how it led to where you went to college. Perfect. Um, so I grew up in the Midwest. I am from Madison, Wisconsin. I am the oldest of two children. My brother is three years my junior and um, grew up in a 
mid middle class midwestern family really um, tight-knit group um, knew that I didn't want to go to school near home my dad taught at the university as a professor of engineering at the University of Wisconsin spent a lot of time on campus um, in the sciences but we were encouraged to fly the coop um, to go away to college unlike many of my my um, compatriots in high school who did stay in the in Madison area. So college campus tours were the thing in our junior year in high school. And I knew I wanted to do a couple things. I knew I wanted to have courses in my life. I knew I wanted to be in the sciences and I knew I wanted to go abroad. And Dartmouth fit the bill perfectly. So um, college tours happened. I got to visit um, Dartmouth's campus and um, and that was it. I it was an early action decision, yes, to Dartmouth. Um, and you know, and then I you know got to spend four years there. So uh, it was it was a very smooth transition period for me from high school to college initially. Um, and then you know the reality of of being a college student set in. But your program, the team, was a foundational. Um, experience for me in college as far as um, having camaraderie, having a central group of people, friends, um, a, a focused program that um, that was very different and a breath of fresh air away from the biochemistry um, degree that I was pursuing because I wanted to be a veterinarian. Right. So, so what, what, when you, how old were you when you learned to ride and, and what, um, did you event and then, and then talk about how uh, did the fact that there was a riding team and equestrian team at Dartmouth affect your decision? Talk about those two things. Okay. So yeah, I did. I started riding when I was seven. Um, there was a local blue painted school bus that would show up on Saturday mornings to the <laughs> grocery store. Uh -huh. And um, in the Midwest, in Madison, you the local riding was about forty five minutes away in the wow in, in the hills of of the greater area. So not a dense urban population mm -hmm. of of riding kids by any means. So Saturday mornings, my mom would drive me to the grocery store, and I'd wait with my cowboy boots and my jeans, um, <laughs> all three foot tall of me, and with the other kids who were also there. And we would pile onto this blue school bus and it would drive us to um, a local riding stable, which was, you know, 45 minutes away. We right. Would, we would get the opportunity to groom our horse for that riding lesson. And we would get on and we'd be nose to tail for an hour in the indoor <laughs> arena <laughs> going around in circles. Yeah. Um, and then we would get off and we'd get back on the school bus and we'd come back to Madison. That, that is a brilliant marketing strategy yes. for, for um, riding stables that are near a city, like uh, unreal, you know, because parents probably wouldn't, your parents probably wouldn't have driven you 45 minutes. And, and, and they had no idea, right? Yeah. They just knew their daughter had a stick up her butt about wanting to ride. And this was what they found. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it, it was, it, you know, and I knew no better, right? It was exactly everything I wanted it to be. And I was a kid in heaven who had no idea that it could be any different. 
Right. Um, so a year later, I started asking for a horse. Um, I would go every Saturday and they said no. And they said no. And they said no again. And they said, I can't, you, you know, we can't afford it. You can right. buy something when you can afford to buy something. Right. Um, you know, 30 years later, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the time it progressed from, you know, the school bus to half leasing, to getting a girlfriend and I to carpool when we were 16 to the barn and taking some proper riding lessons and yeah. doing a little bit of a local um, show circuit, which was kind of rinky dink in all comparisons. And, and that's, that got me through high school. You know, I was a three season athlete in high school. Um, riding was something I did in between those seasons. Um, but it stuck with me and, um, and so much so that it, it I, I was actually a professional veterinarian, um, on the equine side for many years before I moved over to small animal medicine. Yeah. Um, so coming to Dartmouth campus, it was an, a dream come true to be able to add that into my college experience. But prior to a girl coming from the Midwest who had really no idea how elite the competition, the riding right. levels could be on either coast. Um, it just, it, it just kind of blew my mind when I got to um, Hanover because we, my teammates were people who'd done quite a bit of riding, who were very polished and professional um, right. in their pursuits prior to, who you know, done metal McClay, and it didn't even strike me as a thing. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, you never even heard of it. Oh God, no. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The the Pony Club kind of Midwestern experience and the uh, for the eventers was uh, was was very modest. <laughs> right, right, right. And and before we talk about your time at Dartmouth on the team, I can just imagine that that blue school bus every Saturday. I can just hear you chitter chattering to the other little horse crazy girls. So then. Then my pony turned its head, you know, <laughs> the minutiae and, and, you know, today we might get to steer, you know, <laughs> we might trot today. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. I love it. So, okay. So you get, you get to Dartmouth and you try out for the team and you make it. So obviously you must've been in what level were you? What was walk, trot, canter at that time? Do you even remember? The So there was, I was in the second to lowest level. Yeah. So, so that was, that was walk, trot, canter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I remember distinctly you telling us, Hey guys, you need, you know, if you don't qualify for the upper level because of these regulations, we're going to keep you lower so that you can win at the lower level. Right. That's what I always say. I'd put riders as low as I legally could for sure. Right. Yeah. And then it makes sense to us because I was, I was like, I've jumped over, over 18 inches. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So then talk, talk about sort of the climate on the team and what it was like. And, and what I, what I really want to get into too, is how, how those, you, I mean, you already mentioned camaraderie and competition and that kind of thing, but, but just, you know, if you can frame your time on the team and how it related later on to both 
graduate school and your professional life. I, I think that's really what I want to touch into today. Yeah. Um, I think I, it's, it, it's one of the things for a college kid that provides structure because structure is so important to successful professional endeavors for time management. So for example, we had morning practices, right? And on some early mornings and we had, when we had evening practices, sometimes during competition season, closer to the, to the shows, we had two practices a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, it set the pace, right? Your, your non-athlete friends in school are sleeping in, are, you know, t- are getting through their structured experience in their own way. But I think it provided a framework such that you had to get everything done. Every right. college student is on four or five clubs or doing multiple activities. Dartmouth, the equestrian team was my main focus. Um, we all had other disparate interests too, but with the time in the day, you had two practices. Um, there was, you know, show prep time, both at the facilities and then the horses and all classwork all projects, papers got done because they had to. And it just, it kind of made a, a bit more of an efficient time and time in my life. And I, I, you know, I look back on those college experiences, you're so busy, but it's also such a, um, uh, we, we had the energy to be busy and get it all done. And right. that's, I mean, in your twenties, that's, that's, that's when you can do that at a, as 40, you know, you just, you have to pick and choose a lot more. It's just because there's not as much energy to do all the things. You want. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I think too, you know, when um, prospective students would talk to my team and say, how, how can you manage your studies and the team and everything? And they would say, it actually makes us better time management schedulers, right? right? Because you know that you only have a limited amount of time. You have to not only ride, but you have to get to the barn. You have to get your horse ready. You have to do that on the other end too. So they always said that, that, and that they studied together a lot. Yeah. I didn't study with the teammates so much, but it was an, it was an immediate friend group. It was an immediate access to people who were three levels above me, right? I was a freshman on the, on the team all four years with, with Dartmouth Riding Club. And so the seniors and the juniors fi- had figured it out. Right. So our team captains at the time um, were, you know, gave, were people I looked up to. They were, they were, um, they were consistent, excellent riders themselves outside of Dartmouth before coming in. And they were three years ahead of me in the the structured academic experience. So it, it provided a grounding that provided access to people who'd already been through what I was going to be going through. Um, and, and they were, they were, they were people I looked up to. Um, so I think, I think for a collegiate sport, for it's a varsity, um, sport at Dartmouth, which, still blows my mind, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's, I think, you, you know, if the soccer players and the, and the crew, and the, the crew team members all probably got the same structured experience, but if you're not on a team, it's, it's a little bit harder to kind of find your community initially, I think. Right. Well, and I think too, it establishes respect for chain of command, 
Mm-hmm. So you, as a, as a team member, if you have a problem, you go to the captain, then the captain can go to the coach mm-hmm. and then the, uh, or you can go to the proper academic person mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, I think it also um, breeds respect for authority or respect for those that are, that are exactly what you're saying. So the, the captains were who you respected and your coach. And that's so important. Think about, you know, how that related when you went to grad school and how it related in your first jobs. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think that it gave, so yeah. So going to grad school, um, and having a kind of understanding of the academic experience in an Ivy school environment where you were a part of, you were one of many people who had come from varied backgrounds. I think it, you know, Cornell was very different than Dartmouth. It was a graduate experience. It was a very small program and Dartmouth is a relatively small school. So the transition Mm -hmm. from a smaller school and intimate riding team experience to a small postgraduate um, veterinary college experience was was a good setup. Um, I didn't feel like a fish out of water. Um, the academic hierarchy um, was a little. I did have to go through some chains of command in in my graduate work, I had some difficulty in one of my classes and had to meet with my professors and kind of have a study plan to get through the rest of the academic year to, to refocus. So there were moments um, along that journey that definitely uh, harken back to Dartmouth days as far as using your, your, the leaders in your life, whether it's my, um, my academic professors and, and, or, upper level, you know, students who had gone through that and you could kind of lean on. So it was definitely um, a good, a good setup, probably as much of an intimate experience at, at Dartmouth College created, the team created a, um, a foundational intimate base for the next graduate years. And then, um, and then into the wide world of um, veterinary medicine after that. Right. And, and when you were talking about being an undergrad at Dartmouth and being so busy and needing to, to time manage and all that stuff. I always just, because I, I taught in the collegiate world for so long, I just always, I never said it out loud. I just said, Oh, wait till you get to the work world. Right. right. <laughs> just you wait, yes. you know, it, it's a whole nother level of time management and getting along with others. That's right. Right. So, so talk about that for a minute about the, the, the different personalities on the team and what that taught you about, uh, you know, or even talking to people, which you have to do as a vet. Yes. You, you deal with animals, but. And you have to work with people first and foremost. Right. So there's such a hubris in our twenties that, we don't know. We don't know. They call it the sophomoric attitude, right? You, you, you gain a little knowledge when you come into college, you think you 
have <laughs> the world figured out because right you've just stepped into a little bit of a bigger arena in adulthood yeah um you've left home you're living on your own you're figuring out your class schedules you're trying to manage your time in various communities um and and you, you're kind of feeling your oats a little bit at least i did <laughs> right I, I always saw that too. By the time they were seniors, they thought they were all that. Yep. And a <laughs> bag of chips to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, and Dartmouth is about kind of building that kid up, right? It's, it's, it's hopefully empowering them to be the next leader, right? We talk about leadership at Dartmouth a lot. And, right. And, but in a safe way i think um there's there's the freedom to experiment but there's hopefully um a little bit of of kind of catching our own egos in college i certainly had my fair share of it um i thought our writing program was actually quite balanced fun and very um democratic in in a way um mm-hmm. versus you know some of my how I felt my, my papers were graded unfairly as a, as a, as a college student by my professors, but um, I wasn't much, one to complain too much. And yet going on to gra- you know, graduate school at Cornell, there's just a little bit more of a level of, of there, you know, you learn that you're not all that and a bag of chips. There's a lot of smart kids, right. they're all in this together. Um, they want you to pass your classes and, and become that professional, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. And then you hit that first job and there's so much, there was so much um, humility in it for me because right. your clients don't care that you went to Cornell yeah. and Dartmouth. They yeah. just want you to know what to do, how to do it and to get it done as economically efficiently as possible. Right. And, and be nice while you're there. Yeah. My first boss in, in California, um, my first job when I got out of school, um, he said, Ashley, you know, this is California. You're an East coaster. I came from the East coast. You need to chill out. You you need to just be nice and just relax a little bit. And I learned slowly with, from him, you know, it was, but there's so many bumps along the road as you're kind of figuring out who you are in this new way. Right. Um, And it, it was a, it was a really big learning curve again for me, both, you know, swallowing my pride, being in service of someone else, right. I'm too, two degrees from Ivy league schools. I thought I still was and then some, um, and you know, you just got to treat people with respect. I, I am a service provider. They are my client. And if I want to, you know, continue to be employed by my boss, I gotta, I gotta find a way to make people happy, get the job done and continue to improve and be humble doing it. And that was a hard lesson for me. Mm. Hmm. And, and how, what, talk about your path from working for others to opening your own practice. I mean, I'm, I'm so, I'm so excited for you. And I, I so admire you for, for doing that at a young age, you know, it, it was a, 
it was a it was a personality uh, flaw in the making. So I spent <laughs> many years working for other people. I I learned so much from the people around me in each of those jobs. So I moved to California, Southern California, did an internship in a a, a very well established high end um, uh, veterinary equine hospital in Southern California after, after vet school. And, and then, you know, was surrounded by awesome medical equipment and top people in their field. And I was just this lowly intern, but you kind of feel the symbiosis and you're rubbing shoulders with important people. And you think that's me. Um, and then I get, I get cut down a couple notches. I move up to Northern California. I work in a very rural environment mm. for a number of years doing basic medicine, taking kind of doing preventative health herd checks and um, basic stuff that, yeah, you're a new veterinarian. Nobody's going to let you do the fancy stuff on their horse. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got bored. Um, mm. I felt that again, coming back to kind of that sophomoric attitude, um, I felt like I could utilize my skills in a better way, in a different way elsewhere. And that attitude got me fired. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me um, because I wasn't going to leave. My pride wasn't going to let me give up on something um, until my boss had to say, you know, this isn't for you and this isn't for us. Um, so go do something else. So I moved around the Bay Area. Um, I started, I worked uh, for a sports horse practice in Northern California. I got certified in chiropractic because the, chi- the equine chiropractors in my area were, were figuring out how to manage pain better than I could. Right. Um, I got acupuncture certified for this very same reasons and um, started practicing on horses in, with this kind of alternative modalities. Um, and I fell in love with it. Mm. Um, and then again, my brain and, and working for another person didn't really fit. So I moved over into small animal practice. I was out of work. I was between jobs at that point. Um, got, you know, started using those modalities in dogs and cats, acupuncture, chiropractic, Hmm. Work, worked, found, landed a, a job with a holistic practice in Oakland and um, had great mentorship there, really dove into their culture um, as a kind of a communal group practice with kind of alternative medicine healers. And it was just, hmm. it was so my jam. Um, and in those years, I'd said to myself, I'm like, well, I, I really want to own some of this, right? Or or figure out how to be my own boss in a way. Right. Right. And I approached a number of hospital owners over those years saying, Hey, you know, I'll come work for you, but over time I'd like to buy into your business. And they would say to me, yeah, yeah. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. Mm. yeah, Let's see how it goes. And a year would go by, two years would go by and I'd say, Hey, remember, remember that initial conversation. I'd really like to kind of come by into the partnership. Um, And it never, it never materialized. Hmm. Um, and so I found a way to do it on my own with the help of a consultant to get me open. So take me from, 
you're an employee, you work for somebody else, you have no idea how to run a business, start a business, Mm. own a business. So why don't I help you? So I hired a consultant to, to help me get a lease, find a place, establish um, a line of credit with a, with a business loan, um, market, buy the equipment, set up the practice, wow, hiring and get open. Yeah. Um, and that took about a year. Um, and then the rest has been a little bit of luck, a lot of after hours work and rolling with the punches. Um, uh, that has been the most humbling experience of my entire life, um, Mm. is, is, is gaining the trust of your clients while you are moving, you know, 10 miles away and you have one or two staff members that who want to join you in this startup, right? Because it's right. a very collegial environment right. and they do a lot of things and you do a lot of things. You're working together and you're, and yeah. you're you know, welcoming people into the door while the dust is still settling and the glue is still drying. Yeah. And, um, and you're getting it done. And like, then, like, like Jerry Maguire, right. who's coming with me? Right. Who's coming with me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and then you find your pace a little bit and you're okay, we're doing this and, and you hire a few more people and, and then it grows a little and structure needs to be installed because you didn't have it before you let everybody kind of run their own little mm. world mm. and you hire a manager and, and your lead technician doesn't like that person. And, um, and so people shift, leave, and, you know, you hire different, some people leave, some people stay, and then there's this new evolution. Um, and all the while you are in service of somebody else, you are the boss, but you are also the plumber and the after hours, you know, therapist and, um, and your, your bread and butter is still, attending to the emotional and healthcare needs of your client and the patient. Um, and it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's been a re- And then you get to a point where you're like, I can't take it anymore. And something shifts and somebody comes along who helps lighten the load and who right. find the next level of, of kind of stability. And that's where we are right now. We're four years in. Wow. Um, you know, COVID was for everybody in the, every healthcare professional in, in this world, um, but increased demand, increased turnover of staff who are leaving the industry because they're burnt out or they're underpaid and, and, so, right. and, and you're just trying to kind of keep it all together. Um, yeah. so as a new business, we saw a lot of fluctuation and change and evolution. And we've been quick to respond because we're um, agile as the tech speak is. Um, but that, uh, that agility is also a little fragile sometimes. And so we are still finding our groove and we will for probably another decade, but, um, we are in a place of peace and, um, stability right now. And I knock wood all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so great that you built it from scratch. I, I can't even imagine what was involved in that. So when you say holistic vet, does, do you still use, do dogs 
still get their distemper and their rabies and that kind of stuff. So it's just that you're using those holistic things in addition to. That's right. That's this mo- the model of this particular veterinary practice. Some holistic practices around us have, um, have, have chosen to be a specialty and therefore they ask their clients who want that veterinary, that vaccine or, or that heartworm test to, um, seek their primary care veterinarian to do that so that they can work within the community, provide that specialty experience and not feel like though they're stealing those clients from those other primary referring veterinarians. I see. We, we established ourselves as a general practice initially with that a la carte holistic bent. So you can, yes, come to me for chiropractic adjustments. And yes, you can come to us for acupuncture services, but we still do dentistry and surgery and, and vaccines. Okay. And things Got like it. Got it. And uh, before we wind down here, Ashley, I ask all my guests, what do you like to do besides work and uh, horses. I, I guess you could talk about horses because in your case, that's not your profession. So that, that's your hobby. It is my hobby. And it's, I, so I, I still love riding. Um, I, when I came out to California and worked that first job from which I was brought, you know, fired a couple years later, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I bought a horse for a dollar. I bought a thoroughbred who uh, was off the track, who'd competed a bit in the local eventing circuit and who was, you know, fairly lame. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and rode him and fixed him up for a little while and then, um, sent him on to his forever home. But through the last, you know, 15 years, um, I've, I've had various riding experiences and more recently, um, I've worked with babies, um, young, young horses who are being, um, trained and molded to become eventers. So, um, I've worked, I have a four-year-old now, who's learning the ropes of eventing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, it's fun to see the leaps and bounds that they make um, in their education. And the ones who really try, who really want to please are the most amazing riding partners to work with. So that's, that's the large, um, that's a large portion of my off time, which is, it's been, it's been ironically great to be in small animal practice to get to do that when I was in equine practice. Um, right. It was harder to fit, find the time to actually ride for myself. Right. Well, that's great. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for being on the podcast and, and sharing all of your wisdom. And it's so great to see you again after so many years. Thank you for listening to the Athletic Equestrian Podcast. If you'd like more information on this podcast or any of our other podcasts, you can contact me at athleticequestrian at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Jack Boyata, and the music is by Kitcher.